This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Thanks very much to Richard Duggan for filling in for me for the last two days while I was filling in for Patty. Hello, Claudette. Hello, Linda. Well, guess what I just got? Ooh, the flu? <laughs> no, what? Don't say that. Oh, my gosh. You don't say that in this business. <laughs> I know. Or you don't say things too. like, oh, my, some quiet today. <laughs> we never say that. We never do. Let's rewind. <laughs> hi, <Linda>. So <laughs> Hi. So uh, I got a cell phone. Okay. It's a company cell phone oh okay yeah so uh i don't take a whole lot of calls on it right if you know what i mean it's a lot of texting back and forth and usually emails and that sort of thing trying to line people up for the show or an interview or whatever the case may be and occasionally my son will call me on it which he just did but that's a whole other story um but a call came in like seconds ago when i was still in the newsroom heading in here Uh, And it looked like a local number. So if there's a phone call that comes in on this phone, it's a work phone, like I said, i got to answer it because it could be anyone. It could be... The premier. The premier, if you know what I mean. could be anybody, news-related, if you know what I'm saying. So I picked up the phone like you would. Hello, VOCM News. And uh, I got... This is a call from the security office of the security something security security. Your social insurance number has been, I don't know, tampered with or something. Please, you know, uh, respond by pop, pop, pop. Yeah, right. (laughs) Tell me you didn't leave them on. (laughs) No, I didn't. uh, You know, I was just, you know, making a lot of loud remarks to myself Mm -hmm. on the other side that nobody could hear except maybe Richard Duggan, who was a little bit alarmed. Um, But come on, guys. Seriously. So it it keeps on. Obviously, these scammers, they are good at what they do. They it's a, are. It's the pure volume that they send out. At some point, it's like fishing, right? You just <laughs> cast a wide net. At some point, you're going to get some poor fishy, right? And sometimes, you know, where, where it is from a local number, as you said, it you might think for a fraction of a second, oh, that might be something. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, your radar is up on scams and all oh, these kinds of things. Yeah. So when they're saying that your secure, social security number has been, you know, whatever... Some people might say, "Uh uh-oh, that's a problem, as opposed to, "Uh uh-oh, this call is a problem. Right. If you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we're continuing. I mean, the newsroom is continually. It's the most, uh, in terms of volume, the most calls we receive to the newsroom are related to scams. Well, it's kind of good in a way in the sense that because you get those stories out there and more people who are hearing it will tell the seniors in their lives as well about it too. So I think that's that's important. Yeah. It's doing what it needs to do. Now, the the seniors ones usually they they do that little twisty thing. They work on your emotions with the grandchildren and your love yeah. for people in your life, yeah. right? So that that's how they manipulate you. They use the emotion stuff, but a lot of times these types of scams where they're trying to suggest that your social assurance number somehow uh, was um, 
you know, compromised, mm -hmm. they usually get people who are kind of new to this whole idea, right? And maybe don't understand that your social insurance number is absolutely sacrosanct. You do not give that to anybody, ever. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot of people that fall for scams, apparently, because a lot of them are doing it, you know, texting and all of that sort of thing, are younger people. And I would so. suspect newcomers, too, to Newfoundland and Labrador yeah. who aren't familiar with the system at all. I, yes, I would exactly. That, that would be pretty tough for them as well, especially if, if English is a barrier, too. Mm -hmm. It's a lot to get under, a lot, a lot to think about. Yeah, exactly. And like you say now, exactly. People who don't quite understand how the system works or how uh, you would be contacted if there was a problem, um, you know, might fall for something like that. Anyway, be warned. You didn't because it was a work phone. You might you might get uh, one of those calls yet, uh, Claudie. Just uh, letting you know. I you know I it wasn't a, a call, but it was a text. It was something about a delivery. I almost <laughs> hit the link. Well, you know, almost. It, it looks so real. They they um, cat, um, capitalize on plausibility, oh, right? Yeah. So how many of us these days are ordering stuff online? Packages, right? Yes. Uh, now, um, I've received those types of calls too and had nothing that was coming my way. Right. And nobody in my household had anything coming our way. So you knew that So that knew it, it instantly that it had, it had to be a scam, right? But uh, how many people out there have something pending or waiting on uh, you know a delivery? A lot of people. So it's plausibility too, right? Yeah, and I, I guess one of the main, and I'm sure you're after driving this home, is, you know, if you're doubtful at all, just do not, never click on a link. Go find the source and ask questions yeah. via phone number that you source yourself yeah. for, something like that. I remember you covering stories too with the local police uh, officers, I think, do. Uh, people are impersonating police officers and stuff like that and calling homes and I, there's just so much fraudulent stuff out there yeah. it's really hard to be on your game all the time and be careful of the stuff you volunteer um yeah. you know because you, you're the scammer is going to say to you let's say i'm a scammer uh hello claudette i'm a scammer but i'm not telling you that uh what's your social insur insurance number so i can verify right verify right? yeah uh so you're like oh my gosh this is uh, important i'm not saying you mm -hmm. uh but I'm giving an example. Oh my goodness! It's blah 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 blah. Oh, that's right. Well, I have uh, some very important. Can I confirm your name? You give the name. Yeah. And can I confirm that you, this is your number? Yes. Well, you're going to have to give it to me so I can confirm. And you get. Then you've just given them everything they need to. Mm -hmm impersonate you to do whatever they want. I feel like I'm about to go on a tangent, but um, I was just thinking. <laughs> go, go for it. It just came up in my head about social media feeds and all the games that people are still trying to get you to play, like that, what, you know, your mother's maiden name, all, all these different things that they're trying to get you to do. You think that these games are fun because it's supposed to be like a personality quiz or something, but all the information that's garnered about you in these quizzes, and then people are still posting their results. I'm still shocked by that. All of those uh, little things that you use, let's be clear, that you use usually as a marker for your password. <sighs> like your mother's yes. maiden name, uh, yes. birthday, uh, something important to mm -hmm. you. All of these the dog's name. The dog's name or your you know, first dog. You know, those little things that everybody 
where you lived in your childhood, your first home, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Everybody uses those little things as a reminder uh, for, you know, a password or something. Not everybody, but a lot of people mm-hmm. do. So, you know, it's a brilliant way of mining information. But uh, Mining yeah, is the word aware. I was looking for. Thank you for that, Linda. Yeah. Mining. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this public service <laughs> message brought to you by... News talk on VOCM. Um, when we come back after the break, um, the nurses, uh, Registered Nurses Union, held a rally outside Confederation Building yesterday. But it struck me that uh, the number of uh, people gathered outside Confederation Building, given the enormity of the issue, was relatively small. So I put those questions to RNU President Yvette Coffey, and we'll hear more from her when we come back after the break. This is News Talk on. VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, as uh, we mentioned earlier, nurses rallied outside Confederation Building yesterday, concerned about the money being spent by government on travel nurses. RNU President Yvette Coffey joins me now. Well, Yvette, uh, the Registered Nurses Union held a rally at Confederation Building yesterday and uh, not a huge turnout, uh, even though this is an issue, the, the one that you raised yesterday is an issue that you've been raising for ever so long now and has dominated public discussion over the last number of months. Uh, what happened there? So one thing is that registered nurses and nurse practitioners are working a lot of overtime, uh, mandatory and voluntary overtime, or they're working short staff. So they're demoralized, um, you know, just working next to these agency nurses who are getting paid so much more and actually get the better shifts too, (laughs) I might add, um, that, you know, a day off, they need to recuperate. because, you know, they also have family commitments and that. And we did give short notice. We only sent out notice to the public on Monday morning. Uh, the one disappointing thing uh, for me was the lack of public participation. And what I keep saying is this is not about the registered nurses union. This is about taxpayers' money and the lack of accountability um, around how this money was spent, how one company got a contract without it going out to tender or the request for proposals, um, you know, paying for air fryers, pets. Like, I can't even fathom how all these expenditures got through and got paid for. Like, who was running the show? I mean, at the end of the day, government is accountable for expenditure of our money all of our money, and this is our health care system. Uh, I will tell you that this morning, first thing we're hearing from um, Western Health, where travel nurses were working and were pulled off of their shifts, and um, the health authority actually mandated our nurses to go home after a 12-hour shift at 8 p.m. and come back at midnight, worked another eight hours. And last time I was uh, getting an update, I'm not sure when they got released to go home this morning. So we didn't say at the rally, take every uh, travel nurse and take them out of the system right now. Uh, What we're saying is there has to be accountability for the funds and the money and where it's being uh, expensed and I'm just to see it all on paper, the $35 million spent in less than five months, 
uh, the $1.6 million for meals that were never given to the agency nurses, and then the health authority double paid for meals because they paid $1.6 to the company, and then they gave the nurses on the ground, the travel nurses, $100 each day that they worked to go toward their meals. It's unbelievable to me. So the minister was there. Did you have a chance to to meet with him face-to-face? I did. I had some discussion with the minister, and one thing we can agree on is that uh, I think, well, we won't agree. I think I'll be uh, more loud than he will when it comes to the time that we can end the use of private agency nurses or see that the need uh, has decreased substantially and go back to pre-pandemic and pre-715 <laughs> nursing vacancies in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, I do have a meeting scheduled for Monday morning uh, with the Premier and with the Minister to discuss um, these ongoing issues, not just agency nurses. We have other things on our agenda, one being um, reclassification for nurse practitioners, which we have been requesting and talking about since last August. And I have to say, I feel like we're no further ahead than we were last August. It's recognized by all parties that nurse practitioners are not uh, paid appropriately for their expertise and knowledge. Um, And I will once again be reiterating our call uh, to the minister and to the premier that we really truly believe that the independence of the auditor general is what's needed to investigate the expenditure on private agency nurses and how one company could get a contract like that. Now, the minister has said, as you just pointed out, that the, he's bringing in the controller general. Uh, is that enough? Should the AG be brought in uh, in conjunction with that or after the con- controller general does their investigation? Um, we believe that the auditor general should be pulled in now. Um, the independence of the auditor general and being at arm's length is what's needed. I liken this to, so Treasury Board's going to investigate Treasury Board, so they're going to investigate themselves, because at the end of the day, Treasury Board is responsible for the finances of the province and the money that's expended, uh, right? So theoretically, it's the government, so you're going to investigate yourself? Uh, No, we don't agree with that. We need the independence of the Auditor General, and she has the power to investigate the entire process not just how the money was expended. Yvette Coffey, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. And Yvette Coffey is the president of the Registered Nurses Union. If you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Well, the federal government has served notice that it is planning to withdraw a significant portion of funding to the provinces and territories through the labor market development agreements and will implement the program itself from here on in. Provincial Minister Responsible for Labor, Jerry Byrne, shared the information on your VOCM mornings this morning with co-host Jerry Lynn Mackey. I have a duty to inform. These are federal decisions that are being taken, uh, but they're not yet taken. When we had a, a federal, provincial, territorial, ministers of employment and labor market development meeting just recently with the federal minister of employment and social development, Canada, Randy Boissonneau, uh, we held those meetings in Winnipeg. He gave formal notice to all provinces and territories, including Newfoundland and Labrador, 
that Canada was taking very seriously the option uh, to withdraw funding from the provinces and uh, implement their own programming. So I need to be very clear about this. What I know, you will know. And we don't know the whole details of what the federal government's plan is. It probably will not be revealed until the federal budget is read um, at a later date, at a future date, which has not yet been decided. But formal notice has been given to all provinces and territories, including Newfoundland and Labrador, that the federal government uh, is seriously contemplating removing funding from the labor market development agreements and the workforce development agreements, the labor market transfers, that Ottawa has been providing for well over 15 years to the provinces, including our province, uh, and uh, taking that money, and instead of gov- provincial governments allocating it under the, for their labor market needs, Ottawa is saying that we know best, uh, Ottawa knows best, and they would like to allocate it to the uh, two organizations throughout the entire country. And that kind of sounds a little counterintuitive because I don't know exactly how Ottawa can know best what's going on in labor markets in Carbonier or Corner Brook, but apparently they think they can. So what do you think the immediate impact of the proposed $16.5 million funding cut is going to have on this province's employment programs? Well, listen, first off, we're trying to stop those cuts. Uh, we're at all provinces uh, are, are just working with the federal government to try to prevent this. But at the end of the day, it is their decision. We service well over 7,000 people in our province with labor market services, uh, getting access to training, uh, finding jobs, being able to support people who have uh, difficulties Entering the labor market, people with uh, uh, both uh, intellectual and, and physical disability, but as well, uh, people who um, people on the autism spectrum, for example, we provide services for over seven thousand people. We partner with over uh, dozens of organizations across the province to be able to do this. If there is a cut of over sixteen point five million dollars. Um, that is going to be pretty significant and serious as to how those programs can be delivered. And so we don't, I can't be, unfortunately, I can't describe for you with any accuracy or precision what the impact may be because Ottawa has not said what their final decision will be. But there is, and I'll, and I'll say this because I, it, you, you got to bring the full story forward. There is somewhat of a silver lining in all of this, because or not a silver lining, but at least a, a, there's some ray of hope, uh, because Ottawa said they're going to take that money and they're going to potentially reinvest it back in their own programming. So while that may sound great, here's the problem. Organizations will now have to develop relationships, brand new relationships, with Ottawa uh, to be able to make up for that lack fund, that that cut in funding, they'll have to make uh, develop relationships, uh, put in applications to brand new programs based out of Ottawa. And the way Ottawa has done this in recent years 
instead of using provincial governments to be able to to deliver these core programs, these essential programs, they've relied on not-for-profit organizations, national not-for-profit organizations, many of them based in Toronto and Montreal and some based in Halifax. So Newfoundland and Labrador-based organizations, to be able to get back that money that the federal cut from the province, may have to apply to a not-for-profit organization in Toronto to be able to, uh, to to get that money back. And I don't think that's going to work out all that well, to be honest with you. And so we'd really like to see this money stay where it's been productive, where it's provided great value to the people of our province, keep those relationships strong, and uh, don't fix something that's not broke. So that's where we are, Jerry Lynn. Yeah, how does the province plan to engage the federal government to address the concerns that you have about all this? Well, listen, this has been a process. Um, that's exactly, it, it dominated the last uh, minister's meeting with the federal government. All provinces are just absolutely incensed about this. They're, uh, they're very, very angry. They want answers. Ottawa's not giving final answers. And so this is this conversation that you and I are having is part of my duty to inform that while a decision has not yet been taken, one is pending. We've asked organizations from our province to reach out directly to Newfoundland and Labrador's federal members of parliament and remembering that for the first time in a very long time, our province has two federal cabinet ministers sitting at the table of the Trudeau administration, now's a really great time for those federal MPs to represent our province and its best interests by making sure that our province and the people of our province don't have to apply to some not-for-profit organization based out of Toronto to get labor market assistance here at home. That was uh, Minister Responsible for Labour in Newfoundland and Labrador, Jerry Byrne, speaking with uh, co-host Jerry Lynn Mackey on your VOCM Mornings this morning um, and uh, sort of serving notice uh, that you could see some significant changes when it comes to uh, labour market development agreements in this province and how that will impact employment, especially for uh, the many organizations that require on that, uh, uh, rely, sorry, on that program which is being cut by $16 million, up to $16 million. Uh, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. We're up to news time now with Sarah Strickland. Uh, stay tuned for that. When we come back, one of the province's largest property management companies getting out of the condominium market. Uh, I'll chat with Charlie Oliver right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we are back. And uh, Claudette, did you have an opportunity to get outside at all today? No, I didn't. My dear. Did you? It is just like the spring day. (laughs) I noticed that uh, Richard and I were chatting yesterday just... How beautiful it is when you just get off work and you actually see things. <laughs> uh, Richard was saying to me as he was driving in, um, uh, because he's attending the Premier's 
oh, fundraising dinner right. tonight. So his shift is a little bit uh, different, different tonight. tonight yeah. But uh, so he came in during the daytime and he said it was so strange driving up Kemet Road. He had the windows down. <laughs> Just imagine. Yeah, that's. It, I did notice like before I got into work how mild it was. So I'm glad to know that it's still that way. Not good for outdoor enthusiasts oh, right, right now. Yeah, if you're hardcore with snow and you needed a certain consistency, that kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, the temperature is taking a dip again now through the day, tomorrow into mm-hmm. the evening, that sort of thing. So um, the whole province is getting this little warm spell. Although I did notice, uh, because you guys have been writing a number of stories, um, Kane's Quest mm-hmm. looks like it's going to look good for them, which yeah. is great for Yeah, that. it'll be down into the... Into the uh, deep cold by the time that all gets started you'll again. you'll need yeah. that, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, just thought I'd mention it because it is, uh, you know, remarkable. You go outside, you got your jacket on, you know, I'm, like me, I zip it, it's like almost <laughs> up to the tip of my nose, you know, and, you know, I shuffle out like a little penguin, blah, 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 and I'm like, hey, wait a minute, undo <laughs> I the di- <laughs> I hear you, yeah, you go up like a penguin and then you have to take off the whole suit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Anyway, uh, enjoy it if you get an opportunity. Well, one of the province's largest property management companies is getting out of the condominium market to focus on industrial, commercial, and retail real estate. As of April 30th, MarTech will cease management of approximately 20 condominiums, uh, hanging on to just three projects. MarTech founder Charlie Oliver joins me now. Well, Charlie Oliver, as of April 30th, MarTech will cease management of its condominium portfolio. What does this mean exactly? Um, Linda, it it means that we have decided to exit the management and our involvement with the condominium business and increase our focus in our industrial, commercial, um, retail um, portfolio. The, the, The logic for it is that I think we get better bang for our effort and our our staff time and commitment in that field rather than in the uh, the condominium field. And you had been pushing in that direction for for some time. What made the change? Well, we we've been you know we've been around the condominium business for thirty five years, so we've been been incubating and building it so on. But what's happened recently is that the the industry itself and and I guess the way the management of it is becoming much more demanding on time, on people, and how the interaction with the, you know with condominium boards and our staff was taking a lot more time. So that was one thing. Secondly, I had one of my main staff. Maybot, who was at a stage where she was going to uh, retire or step away from the condominium business. She'd been at it and running it for me for a long time. Uh, so we had a choice. Do we go and try to find somebody else to come in and take over her role? Or do we say, listen, it's time for us to take that as a, you know, a sign from the gods and let's, let's move on. So we made the decision that we're going to move on. And um, I'm, I'm actually having dialogue with May about getting her to transfer into uh, our commercial side and, and continue working that, which she had been doing, you know, part-time sort of. So how many That's condominiums are we, are we talking about? There's about 20 condominium corporations. We're retaining three where myself and, and some of my, you know, my, my related businesses have ownership in them. But other than that, it'll be about 20 condominium corporations that will now need to find either 
a new manager or, again, an option to have, try to do self-management, which we would suggest for many not to do. But, again, that is an option. And are there many takers for that kind of thing out there, I wonder? I don't think so. Like, uh, there's probably three other managers or corporations who would manage condominium corporations and I would expect most of them if not all of them would be at or near capacity that would be my assumption Um, the second thing is you got to look at you know the value proposition and that is that the the fees that you charge or that have been historically charged for condominium corporations by and large don't rationalize it as a as a strong business case so I think what we're going to see is, you know, they'll be reaching out for these corporations and hopefully they can take them and build their business, you know, bigger, better, stronger. Um, but there may also be an adjustment, you know, required and, and, and we'll see it probably over the next year or so in the fee structures to the condominium corporations, probably across the board in our city and province. So what will this mean for the, for the people who own these condominiums? Uh, it means that the board of directors and the unit owners have to proactively identify ways and means to, you know, collect the condominium fees, oversee the physical management, and deal with the, the legality piece, which is, you know, declaration, bylaws, meetings, rules, regulations, and so on. So, um, so our contracts provide those with uh, a notice period, which we've given. Uh, my staff are being reallocated roughly a month after that, so... I will actually be incapable of even, you know, carrying it on longer because my staff are, as I say, being redirected. Um, the other corporations out there uh, may be able to take them. And if not, then I guess um, there may be new people coming into that field who may very well say, listen, this looks like an exciting opportunity. I'm an entrepreneur. Perhaps I'll go and, and uh, try to, you know, negotiate and set contracts up to take over some of these. So you're heading in a, a different direction or you're expanding on another direction, uh, commercial industrial business. What do you expect there? So that so we, we have been a big player in that for a long time. Like the condominium piece of our business was probably, you know, I'll say 10 or 15%, if that. So we've been, you know, in the management of, you know, large third-party commercial real estate. So real estate owned by other people than ourselves. And examples of that would be, Atlantic Place, Terrace Square, uh, Mount Pearl Square, uh, Glen Hill Plaza, you know, to name a few. We've got warehouses we manage. Uh, so so that's where our, our staff have been focusing over the past, you know, let me say increasing our focus over the past seven to ten years. And now we're seeing even a bigger demand for that because wisely managed real estate obviously enhances the value of that real estate. And, uh, and we've got a, you know systems and structures in place where we can probably say we're in the top two or three people in our city capable of providing that management. You expect to hire people on? Um, yes, we do, because we're looking at expanding our um, leasing sales side on the commercial. So we've, we're actually in negotiations with, uh, with another individual now, and I'm hoping um, to see perhaps May come and join us in that part of our business. So we're expanding there. We've just got new accounting people brought on. So we've 
we've probably increased by two to three people over the past couple of two to three months. And hopefully uh, that will let us, you know, manage effectively the portfolio we have. We're being approached by many others to um, engage in their real estate, looking at some real estate that requires a bit more love and attention, which my staff love giving to, to real estate. So we're looking at expanding there and thus won't have the time and the staff to, to focus and give the attention that the condominium sector requires. Charlie Oliver, I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Linda, my pleasure. Any day. You have a great day. That's the founder of MarTech, Charlie Oliver, uh, getting out of the condominium market. Going to be hanging on to just uh, three of their projects there to focus on industrial, commercial, and real uh, retail real estate. Well, when we come back after the break, uh, Mary Sexton is going to be at the rooms tomorrow for a, a screening of a very special film. I don't know, Claudette, if you had an opportunity. Uh, it came out. 2020, I want to say, right uh, in the midst of COVID. Uh, but did you get a chance to see me, Mom, and COVID? No, I haven't. Oh, what a charming little film, I oh, have to really? say. Yeah, really charming little film. So your opportunity to see it, if you haven't already, is going to be at the rooms tomorrow. So um, uh, Mary Sexton will join me uh, right after the break, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back right after this. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Your VOCM mornings. Well, uh, hello. <laughs> there is a lovely little film. It was put out uh, a few years ago called Me, Mom, and COVID. And uh, the producer is Mary Sexton. And it tells the story of her mom, Sarah. Everybody remembers Sarah. Wonderful Sarah Sexton. One of the um, uh, most genuine, I suppose, She's she was everyone's mom if you know what I'm trying to say um, and uh, it tells the story of her sister Edwina and Edwina has special needs and uh, anyway I don't want to give too much of the story away but everybody understands that during COVID there were some very um, difficult decisions that had to be made for a lot of families uh, especially people who had uh, family members in care and um, all those difficult things you know no human contact and interaction in that and sometimes it was over the phone and sometimes it was through a window and all those kinds of things but and people were getting creative by putting like hearts out on their windows so that they, when they came to the window they would see the love sort of thing yeah like and and there was other people who would you know bring their dogs to the window right. to show family yeah. members their dogs or there was even some people who rode horses up to windows because their loved ones were so delighted with horses and that sort of thing so um you know all these creative ways but still you know there was that uh, yearning I suppose for that family contact anyway me mom and COVID just tells such a, a human story it's it's a fabulous little film and if you get a chance to head out to the rooms tomorrow to take it in I would strongly encourage you to do so Mary Sexton will be on hand at the rooms along with her sister Edwina uh, and um, she joins me now well, hello, Mary. Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm great. So tell us now, uh, Me, Mom, and COVID, what a lovely film it is, honest to goodness. And I think it spoke to a lot of uh, things that many, many people here in Newfoundland and Labrador were feeling at that particular time. Um, you've got a special screening coming up. Tell us a little bit about it. 
yes, there's a screening tomorrow at 2.30 at the rooms. Uh, between 2.30 and 3.30, we're going to show the film, and then they're going to do a Q&A afterwards. And myself and Edwina will be in attendance, which is kind of fun. And uh, we're, you know, basically the rooms got in touch with me to see if I would show the film. And it was interesting, Linda, because I didn't, we didn't put the film into any festivals or anything. I sort of, you know, we made it, you know, we got, got us through COVID and I kind of forgot about it, but it's a little bit of a gem of a film. And then we did the first version was a shorter version. And then we did a year later where Edwina, you know, how Edwina settled in a year after the fact. So it, you know, it has a bit of a shelf life. And like you said, most people were going through this. They had loved ones that they couldn't touch or see. So I think they kind of lived a little vicariously through mine and Edwina's relationship. And how's she doing now? She's doing fantastic. I mean, it's going to outlive us all. She'll be 77 on her birthday, and she's still living at North Pond. She's very independent. Uh, I was away. I went to the Berlin Film Festival with a couple of films that I have coming up, and she really missed me. I was gone for 10 days. So as soon as I got back, I, you know, I got in very early Sunday morning, but Sunday afternoon I went to see her, and her eyes lit up as big as saucers because I had a sweater for her and I had candy, so she was pretty excited. And then she said, I'm going to come out for the whole weekend this weekend with you. So she's doing phenomenal. She really loves North Pound and she has her independence. And uh, it's working out for everybody. And as I say, she comes to spend most weekends with me. I have to do the maintenance of her hair and get her nails done and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't change for all tea in China. No, indeed. But uh, Berlin, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, there was a delegation, Picture NL chose a couple of producers that have productions, uh, you know, going. And I brought Skeet, which is a film that I'm doing with Nick. Uh, we had done How to Be Deadly together, and we had done uh, Me, Mom, and COVID. And we were doing this film, Skeet. It's about an unlikely friendship between a Syrian and a gentleman that has some addiction issues and mental health, and how their relationship uh, comes together, and how their friendship help both of them get through the racism, get through the addiction, and get through, uh, you know, how friendship can mend a lot of fences. So that's going to be released in the fall. And I have The Devil to Pay, uh, which uh, Gail, uh, sorry, Ed Rich is writing, and we have Jerry Ciccariti, who is going to be directing it. So that's in the final stages of packaging. And I also have Dear Everybody, which is Anne Budgel's book, uh, that Gail Collins is adapting to a screenplay. So it was very good. I, I found it really informative. I hadn't been to Berlin since 2006, so it was, at first it was a bit daunting, but I had great meetings, and uh, I'm, you know, I find the work when you come back and you do the follow-up, that's when, you know, the deals are done. But uh, overall, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about uh, the meetings I had. How do your films play outside of the province? Because I think it's fair to say you have a very clear Newfoundland voice in the way that you present your stories. And sometimes they're very uniquely Newfoundland as well, but also very human. How do they play outside of this province? 
Well, it, it's interesting. Well, Marty was a Nova Scotia story, and that was, you know, that was had a world-class uh, release, which went over extremely well. Uh, you know, like, when we did Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching, it was interesting. The rest of Canada really, really liked it, but the Newfoundlanders were kind of against it. They thought we were kind of making fun of uh, uh, of their work ethic, and in, in actual fact, we were doing the opposite. They were saying how enterprising they were. Um, Devil to Pay is a, is a universal film, and Dear Everybody is a, a film about a, a sort of a fish out of water, a woman, a socialite from New York moves to uh, Labrador. But overall, I find that now we are making films not just colloquial for Newfoundland. We're making them because people have access with the World Wide Web. People have access. And, you know, we're getting like-minded people watching our films and enjoying our films and, and wanting to see more of them, which is great. I don't think a lot of people outside of the industry understand the degree to which uh, a big part of filmmaking is is getting the word out and and doing this um you know you know the junket so to speak to 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 make people aware of the films. Well, it's, it's exactly, and I, and I always say I'm not a distributor, I'm a producer, but you, the producer's role basically is to get the money, put the crew together, uh, produce the film, uh, put it into production, get it uh, into post-production, then deliver the film, and then market the film so that you can actually, so it doesn't. It does have a, a bit of a shelf life and people actually get to see it. It was interesting, I went to uh, um, China with uh, another other, uh, he's passed now, Kevin um, Kevin Tierney, and you know there was all these um, black market uh, videos, and I said, oh, my, I wouldn't even be upset if someone, uh, you know, uh, copied my film. At least then someone would get to see it, because sometimes we get distributors that don't actually distribute it, and they put it on the shelf, and you know, it, not everybody gets a theatrical run, and then they don't know where to find the film, and then you either have to put it up on your website or you have to, you know, do the junkets, like you say, or go to the festivals and flaunt it and sort of make people, you know, get the uh, broadcasters to broadcast it, get the distributors to get it out there so that uh, everyone gets to have a look at it. So when can we expect to see Skeet? Skeet will be released. We're hoping for a festival release, and we're going to release it uh, late uh, fall of 2024. Wonderful. And if anybody hasn't already seen Me, Mom, and COVID, um, when and where again? It's at the room tomorrow, Thursday, February 29th at 2.30 to 3.30. And I believe admission is $12, but if you have a membership, it's free. And, Linda, today was would have been Mom's fourth anniversary of her passing, so it's kind of poignant that it's at this time. Well, Mary, I do appreciate you taking the time with us. Uh, Give uh, Edwina a big old hug and kiss for us. really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you, and thank you for sharing your time with me. You have a great day. And Marina Sexton, of course, a local film producer extraordinaire. Uh, lots of energy, lots of creativity, and uh, a big old heart on her for sure. And uh, me, mom, and COVID airing at the rooms tomorrow, or screening at the rooms tomorrow, I should say, uh, at 2.30. She and Edwina will be there, and uh, Skeet's coming out in the fall. Oh, I'm just intrigued with the- <laughs> 
with the word. <laughs> Isn't it, though? I mean, it tells an interesting story, though, about yeah. uh, a Syrian uh, refugee and uh, making an unlikely, I guess, uh, friendship with... The word that we here in Newfoundland use, but a, a person who happens to have uh, addictions and mis- oh. mental health issues. So um, anyway, it's it sounds like an intriguing. I love stories that focus on humanity and something that everyone can relate to, if you know what I mean, emotionally. And, and sometimes underdogs, too, you know, like or the less likely pairs that yeah. come together and the lessons learned from that. Interesting. Anyway, fascinating stuff. And like I say, if you haven't already seen me, Mom and COVID, uh, your opportunity is tomorrow. And I think it's available online. I stand to be corrected on that. Uh, but as she said, she doesn't care as long as people see it. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, you put that. these things out into the universe. Uh, you know, when you're a, a, a creative person, like mm-hmm. a film or whatever, and it's almost like giving birth to a baby. You put it out into the universe and you see how it does on its own, if and you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, I never knew that, you know, the hard part of it, just peddling it to make oh, sure lots man. of people will get to see it. It yeah. is serious work to do all mm-hmm. that, um, um, you know, the circuit, film yeah. festival circuit. And that. Oh, my goodness. I don't envy anybody that. That's for sure. Anyway, you know, mucho respecto <laughs> to all involved. Um, that's it for us for today. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then. In the meantime, um, um, what am I going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. I just went into autopilot. Have a nice day and enjoy the mild weather. Enjoy the mild weather. 